If somebody in the, in the back would get those two interior doors so we don't get the car noise, helps a little bit. All right, so make sure you've got a bulletin today. It's got your notes in it. Um, today, the notes, they do fall along with the sermon, but they're really focusing on your making it personal to you today. So you take whatever notes you uh, feel moved to do. And we'll pray one more time. Never enough times here, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bring your word today, I pray that it would be your word. I pray that um, your spirit would be what guides us and that we would seek you, we would seek your word and go to you for the truth. You're the only one with the truth, God, and I pray that we'd seek you. In your name, amen. Okay, so two weeks ago, uh, we started this series. We had a cool interlude where we had a concert in between. But two weeks ago, we started this series by doing a self-assessment. And it's awesome that we're doing communion today, too, because a lot of times that's a little bit of a self-assessment. You're supposed to, um, you're doing it in remembrance of what he did for you, right? So we're kind of coming and remembering what he did. And a lot of people use that time as a way to try to make yourself right with God. So when we, we did this assessment of a several areas, so I'm just going to review really quickly just the areas we looked at. We looked at our relationship with God first. Where were you with your relationship with God? Where were you with your relationship with your spouse, with your family, um, with your work, and with your ministry? So we kind of just took Colossians 3 and 4 and said, how does God break this up for us? And then we looked at those and we tried to assess um, but then we talked about taking this assessment home and praying for guidance. If you take an assessment of yourself and say, God, where am I? Your next step is to say, well, where, where do you want me to be, right? And um, hopefully, hopefully we were able to look at it humbly and honestly, because today I want to talk about giving you tools to take the next step, because the next step's the hardest one. And that's being a consistent Christian. Um, you're allowed to answer these. So, hands up if you've ever bought a gym membership and used it less than five times. Anybody ever done that? No? Okay, so, all right, anybody who set themselves for a workout routine but only did it less than five times, how about that? Nobody? Nobody sets any workout routines. Okay. All right, how about... Um, who has said, I want to be in God's word more and set themselves a one-year plan to do so, but didn't make it through the first month? Okay. Maybe this is, just, this is probably just me, I guess. These are my questions, I guess. Um, and if, <laughs> you know, if you're looking to God to change certain things, you usually try to make a plan, I hope. If you're angry or if you're stressed out and you've identified that as an issue, you're coming up with a plan through him to try to correct that. So, but the part that's hard is staying consistent. I can say I want to read through the Bible once a year. Staying consistent with that is much more difficult. And not because you're all terrible people. Not because you just, you know, can't figure life out. Whatever happens during your week that messes it up, just like mine, that happens. 
So how do we overcome that, though? Because I could spend the rest of my life like that. I'm going to have a busy life until my kids are out of the house at least, and then probably pretty busy past that. Yeah. It, doesn't, it never gets any easier. Okay, I'll take your word for it. So if I don't have a plan, I'm going to look at my weeks for the rest of my life like this? Like, I don't, like I'm not going to make any real, any real leaps? So today we're going to look at some practical and simple ways, hopefully, to take the next step. How do you put this into your life so that it stays in your life? And you've heard me say it enough times, this probably isn't going to come through your power because there's a lot of lack with us. If I have to depend on myself, there's a lot of lack for that. So to actually take a sober self-assessment and say, God, I know I'm not in prayer enough. I know that I'm commanded to make disciples, but I don't have any right now. I know that I'm supposed to put you first with my finances, but there's so many things I need and want. God, my marriage and my relationships might not be where I want them to be, and I don't want to waste any more time like that. God, I know you have given me gifts, but I don't really know how to use them for ministry. God, this church needs me, but I don't really know how to work well with others. I don't know what your place is for me in this church. So to just lay these things before God and say, God, I am broken. Admit no matter where you are right now, in some area in your life, you're broken. And say, God, rebuild me in your image. This is where it kind of takes that humbleness to say, you know what? I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I've been a Christian for 60 years, however long. And be able to say, God, I'm still broken in these areas. It's not easy for me, but I want to be rebuilt in his image, so i got to do it anyway. I don't want to do the same old thing anymore. So laying it at his feet, and then we're going to look at taking the right steps. So I'm going to give you a little context first. Why does this happen in the first place? Why is it that we have a hard time getting some of this right? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 4 first, and then I'll go to 12 through 15. I like how he starts this. I feel like I should start every sermon like this. I hope you will put up with me in, in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present to you, you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul starts off here talking about false teachers and those who would lead men astray. And just how easily enough they put up with it, is what he says. You put up with it easily enough. When things sound really good, we tend to eat them up. 
most of you probably walk in here and you're pretty conservative, right? Most, most Christians tend to be conservative politically. I could probably, using some nice fine words that I hear at work all the time, give you some very progressively not-so-conservative ideas, and you would all go like this. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. Sometimes we don't fact-check. Sometimes we don't go to the source. We just hear, and boy, that sounds really good. But sometimes things that sound really good are a complete waste of time. They're not what Jesus taught, which is all that really matters. And you can be completely led astray by them. We have Christians sitting in pews this morning in this maybe not in this church, but in this country, that believe abortion's fine. We have Christians sitting in pews in churches that have no idea what Jesus actually said. They're living their lives completely for themselves and really don't even realize it. They, they haven't looked to see if that's wrong. All they've heard throughout their lives is, I live for myself, and that's how I get the most. So, you can be deceived. We are all deceived. I have to be careful with this myself. Uh, I love to listen to Ravi Zacharias and Billy Graham and Francis Chan and David Platt and James McDonald and David Jeremiah and Chip Ingram and R.C. Sproul and I love to read Tozer. Those all sound like good people, right? All good. I would say some of the best that we have. Every one of them has been deceived just like you and I. Every one of them is fallible just like you and I. Every one of them has an imperfect interpretation of Scripture just like you and I. Don't ever tell James McDonald I told you that, but he would take that hard. But um, that's the best we have as humans, and they're fallible. All of them have preached one thing to their congregation and done the opposite. All of them have secret sins in their lives that no one knows about. That's the best we have as humans, and you can't trust everything that they give you. You can only trust the source in which they are bringing it to you. And that source is God's Word, and the Holy Spirit will teach and guide you through it. Without getting into the meat, it's easy to live life with some understanding of godly priorities. I know what godly priorities are, and I think, I believe them. I do. I'm deceived, though, because I live a completely different way. I'm being deceived. I'm going to go down to verse 12 in 2 Corinthians 11 now. And he says, And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who have an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. This is important for all of us to remember. It's not just Jeremy who's been deceived. It's not just that Christian who you met who can't get anything together who's been deceived. All of us have been deceived. Satan is wandering around this earth actively deceiving. And it looks like righteousness. It looks really good. 
He's used really good-sounding Christians to lead whole churches astray. His, his kind of leading destroys families, even though it sounds really good. It destroys churches, even though it sounds really good. Isaiah 59, 1-3 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. Right now, you and me all suffer from the exact same disease, the sin disease. And so we have this imperfect relationship with God. We may be justified, we may be clothed in Christ's righteousness, but I'm not in the presence of God yet. My relationship is still broken while I still have this broken body. And until then, we have this amazing deficit that can draw us to him or push us away from him. Because of where we are with him right now, I can have a head knowledge of what's right and what he expects, and I can know what those things are. But when I try to do any of them, I can just be frustrated. I can't get them all right. I keep just striving under my own power, and I can't get it right. So one more thing before we move on. Another part that really hinders us is that because we can't see God right now, he is at times hard to trust. I say I trust him. I say that he's good. I believe that he's good, actually. I believe that he'll take care of my family. But when things get hard, my day doesn't look that way. My day looks like me running around trying to fix everything myself. So when faith is lacking, it's, it's going to be hard to take care of this. I also know that he'll take care of me financially. And he's proven it to me a thousand times. And yet, there's times I struggle because I look at my month and I look at the cars that are broken down and I say, I'm not going to bring in any more money. How am I going to deal with these expenses? But I'm supposed to put him first and him first with my finances. That check should be written first. So there's sometimes when it's hard if I don't believe he's going to take care of me. Okay. So far I've given you all the obvious. You could have skipped church today if this was all there was. We're broken, right? We get that. I'm not going to pound you again on that. We know that we are broken and can't do this on our own. So we're going to go to God's Word today to find good news. There is power to overcome this. There's power to have a daily life that is consistent. That when we want to do something for Christ, we're able to do it. We're going to look at a key fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is a fruit of the Spirit? A fruit of the Spirit is something I work really hard to do and then it happens. Is that right? Nope. Why do you think they call it the fruit of the Spirit? Where does that come from? Right. The, the Spirit is what's going to give me the power to do this. I, I by myself can't do this. The Spirit is what gives me the power. That's why they're fruits of the Spirit. There's nine of them. And it's possible to suppress them but it's also possible to have this supernatural power come into our lives. 
I'm going to read Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Most of you already have that memorized probably. Here they are. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The one we're going to look at today, you need all of them, but we're not looking at all of them today. The one we're looking at today is self-control. And some of your translations may call it discipline. Either way, to be honest, both of them are pretty hard words to deal with. Self-control and discipline. When I was growing up in school, and my mom was my teacher, she had a saying for all of us when we were getting out of hand. She would say, what is the key word? And we were supposed to respond, self-control. We were, it, was a, it was a way for us to remember we're supposed to be under control. So this has been ingrained in me for a long time. But I'll tell you, I've struggled with it my whole life. Not because she was a bad teacher. She was a great teacher. But because I've been trying to do it under my own power. So the Bible gives us some great examples of why it's important to be self-controlled and how many things build upon it. Turn, if you would, to Titus 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. You, however, much must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith in love and in endurance. Okay, so everybody who is an older gentleman here, you're covered. You've got to be self-controlled. Th verse 3, Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Okay, so older women are also covered. Verse 6, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So each group is commanded to have self-control. It's the common one. Without it, you can't hope to have all those nice things he talked about. Faith, love, endurance, purity, kindness, soundness of speech. It goes on. Um, Note that a lot of what he talked about here was on our assessment two weeks ago. Without self-control, those items are very difficult. So if we want to improve on that assessment, then we need to improve our self-control. Okay, I'm going to stop beating that. I'll stop beating that to death. You guys all get it, right? We need self-control, and hopefully we want self-control. When I look at those guys that just happened in the Olympics, right? And you look at those people who don't have an inch of fat on their bodies and have trained their whole lives and may not get any medals and don't get paid very well. This is self-control. 
Those people miss a week of getting up early and swimming in that pool don't win the gold medal. So these guys have something that's admirable. And, you know, Paul actually talks about the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games were going on with him too. He talks about it in another place where he says, you know, I watch these guys who for a year stay in a village and they're regulated on what they can eat and they're told exactly what they can do. All that just to put a, a wreath on their head. They didn't even have gold medals then. So if these people can do it for a gold medal in gymnastics, maybe you care more about gymnastics than I do. Amen, probably. But if they can do it for that, certainly we can do it for Christ. Certainly we can live this way for Christ. Isn't it important enough? I hope so. All right, so um, what is self-control? If the power co- and if the power comes from the Holy Spirit, what part do I play in it? I play a part. The power is going to come from the Holy Spirit. How do we put these two things together? How do I make it so I'm not just working harder and harder and harder? How do I do that? Okay, so we're going to go on to verse... Oh, let me see here. Yep, okay. Still in Titus. Sorry. We're going to go on to verse 11. Here, let's get a little definition. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, being the grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, first of all, it's by grace. Without the work of Jesus Christ, this thing doesn't happen. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, this thing doesn't happen. Um, so, but through this amazing power and transformation that comes through accepting God's grace, we are being taught to say no to ungodliness. We are saying no to the easy things of life because it's worth, it's worth it when you get to your reward. I can live kind of two ways. I can wake up every morning and say, how can I get through this day the easiest I can? And a lot of people live that way. I live that way some days. I just want to get through this day with as little impact on myself as possible. I'm tired. I don't want to deal with it. Or I can say, you know what? All this hardship that's in my life is worth it. Because that reward at the end is far greater than my having one easy day or ten easy days however many easy days you've had lately. And I think all of us can, can relate to this. Which means more? Something that came easy or something that you had to work for? What is more lasting? What means more to you? It's the one you had to work for that usually is more important. Uh, so we're going to go to 2 Peter 1. If you would turn there, please. We're going to do verses 3 through 11 to try to get insight into this power that we're trying to find. <clears throat> All right, so I'll start at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, here we go again, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord, Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one of those passages that doesn't need a ton of interpretation. I mean, if you want to get into it, you get into it, but this thing is pretty awesome. His power is giving us a chance to glimpse what it is like not to have these corrupted bodies with this corrupted sin Um, so that we can participate in his work. He doesn't have to let us participate in his work. He could do it without us but he lets us participate with it. He then goes on to say, here's how you do it. First, you have to have faith. We talked about that earlier, why faith's important. Then you add to faith these qualities. And if you gain them through his power, you're not going to be unproductive for his work anymore. I hope, so I'll just speak for myself. I feel the most guilty the most shame, the most stress when I'm not productive for God. I know usually what I'm supposed to do. And when I'm not doing it, it kind of wrecks me. It kind of messes me up. I'm unproductive. I don't want to be unproductive. I really want to be productive. I want to do what he wants me to do. Some days I'm better at saying no matter how hard it is because that's kind of the caveat. I want to do what he wants me to do no matter how hard it is. That's, that's where it sometimes gets me. Um, but if you gain power, you won't be unproductive for Christ. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're saying, here I am. Here's what I want to be for Christ. How do I get there? We don't have to look any further than that passage, and we're going to read one more that's just as awesome. And it goes on at the end to give a warning to those who don't do this, that they're nearsighted and blind. Um, That doesn't need any interpretation either, right? If you're not looking toward heaven, if you're not looking toward eternal gifts, eternal blessings, eternal rewards, then you're nearsighted. You're just looking at today and how I can make it happen for me today. So here's a little definition for self-control based on these passages we've just read. Being self-controlled is doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, no matter how hard, because you're looking towards something far greater that is in the future. And that future could be next week. I'm not talking about people who have to take 30 years. I'm saying that future could be just next week. You're looking toward the rewards that come through work and dedication rather than these quick fixes that we like. Okay. So you may not have 
totally bought in on this sort of um, delayed gratification principle. Because when you leave here, and when I leave here, the world looks at you like you're crazy for delaying any sort of gratification. I had a conversation with a guy at work today, or not today, this week, and he talked about delayed gratification as if it was something to be eliminated from your life. You should never have to delay gratification. The Bible's teaching the exact opposite. That delayed gratification is the way to then self-control. To put off what's easy so that you can put on your new self. So, we haven't bought in because it's really hard. I, I'm not telling you any of this is easy. All of you know it's not easy. If it were, all of you would have three verses memorized every week. You would read through the Bible in half a year. You'd have 22 disciples and you'd go to every small group if this was all easy. It isn't. It's hard to get up 30 minutes earlier to spend time with God. I'm not a morning person. I, I dislike it very much. But you know what? If I don't give the first time of my day to God, my day kind of stinks. It doesn't go that well. I'm supposed to give my first to Him. It doesn't always have to be first thing in the morning, but for me, if I don't, it messes up my day. It's hard for people to say, I'm going to get in shape and then work out and eat right until you get in shape. It's hard. It takes self-discipline. It's much easier to spend your time doing blank. You fill in that blank. Whatever that blank is for you, whatever that thing is that you waste time doing, I can give you mine. You know, I've got sports that I enjoy that I've wasted time on in my life. I did a fantasy football draft last night. I prepared early so I would not, you know, I'd still be able to speak today, but, you know, we waste time. So I'm going to give you one more passage, and this is where it's supposed to come home for everybody. So if it doesn't, that's because of me. So you're going to have to go back and read it yourself. If it doesn't hit home for you, you've got to go back and read it for yourself. All right. We're going to Hebrews 12. I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to go to Hebrews 12. This is one worth printing out, putting on your fridge, writing it out, memorizing it. This is, this is a deep well of knowledge for how to live. I'm going to start on verse 4. It starts off right where we're at. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes some discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God's discipline God's disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. And this next verse is really the key for today. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest 
of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. This is awesome. This, this whole section is awesome. If you want to talk about why there's hardship in your life, there's a whole lot in here about why is there hardship in your life. But he's also talking about discipline and how for the moment it seems painful. But later on, what does it produce? What's it say? Later on, it produces what? A harvest. A harvest of righteousness and peace. That sounds good to me. I would love to see a harvest of righteousness and peace. And it's a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Trained by it. This is self-controlled. The word here, discipline, is the same root word that we've been reading all morning about self-control. Those two words are the same root. Um, So a training that deals with hard things right now because we believe it's worth it. It's worth it because of that harvest. So I'm going to finish today with giving you some application. Um, And this... I actually started this on Monday because when I preach to you, i got to do application backwards. I don't give it at the end for me. I have to do it first. Otherwise, I have nothing to say to you guys, right? So these are two things that you can do. Um, You can do whatever you want, I guess. But these are two things you can do. Um, For those of you who went through the Ephesians 4 Sunday School, some of this is going to sound familiar. It's not original. It was good enough for then. It's better now, actually. Um, so I'm not recreating it. I decided, firstly, to do what needed to be done when it needed to be done. If you approach a week like that, I pretty much had to write that on my arm. Like, I had to repeat that over and over and over and over and over to myself. Because we don't always do that. We have self-made barriers to not calling that person who needs encouragement. We have self-made barriers to not going to that Sunday school, to not going to that group, to not talking to the person at work about Christ. We have self-made barriers. This gave me an out. All I had to do was say, you know what, God, God wants me to do what I should do when I should do it. So if he lays something on my heart, the time is not three weeks from now. The time is now. If he's laying something heavy on my heart, I need to do it. And you know, I guess I'm far enough behind, I only got through half this week. I only got through about half of the things that God's laid on my heart. But I can tell you, if I spend six weeks like this, I'll be in a better place. I'll be in a better place for Him. I'll have to take out some things. I'm only going to do two fantasy football leagues instead of six this year. That's a step for me. I'm taking some of that out. But... If I can do that, I'm going to be in a much better place and it'll be worth it. Um, The other thing I did, which stems from everything we've talked about, most everyone here knows what it looks like to be Christ-like. You know who Jesus is. You know what he did. You know what then is expected of you. I wrote down what I want to be What do I want to be? Not my to-do list for the day that I check, 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 check. Often I'm doing the wrong to-do list. But who do I want to be when I meet Christ? 
And I wrote those down. And you know what? I was supposed to do this. Is, this comes right back to doing things when you're supposed to. I should have done this in February when we talked about it. I should have done this in February when we talked about it. So this week I decided, you know what? I should have done it then. I'm doing it right now. So here's a few of mine that are on my list. I want to be a more hus- a loving husband and father. I want to be more joyful. I want um, to be someone that praises God in the storm. I want to be self-controlled. I want to be more forgiving. I want to be someone that seeks wisdom and righteousness. I want to be a better friend. I want to look at others like Christ does. That is such a hard thing, to look at others like Christ does. I want to be more loving. I want to be more generous, and so on. Why did I do this? Because if we're never looking at who we want to be, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. God gave you tools. Hopefully you saw some of them today. If not, go find them. God has given you tools to become someone. And when you meet him in glory, what do you want to say? What do you want to have done? What do you want to be when you get there and stand before Christ? Those nearsighted people are going to have their eyes opened. They're going to have their eyes wide open to what they could have done, what they could have been. My challenge to you is know what you want to be. Know who you should be when you see Christ. It's worth it. No matter where you are and what state of life you're in, it's worth it. There's nothing else that's, there's nothing else that's more important than this. And this complex thing that we have is sinful humans can say, I believe that, but I waste my time doing everything else. I believe that. I want to be that, but I waste my time being something else. So these are on cards in my pocket to read several times a week to remind me, why am I doing what's hard? Why is it worth it to do what's hard? Because God said, this is who I want you to be. I want you to stop drinking milk like babies. I want you to eat meat. I want you to become more mature. I want you to be more loving. You don't need to have stress in your life. I've taken care of everything. All these things I want to be. So, here's what it comes down to. And it's not complicated. If you don't have a plan, you won't succeed. You might fall into something haphazardly once in a while, but if you don't have a plan to give the first of your money to God, there's going to be months where you don't give the first of your money to God. If you don't have a plan to be studying God's Word and devotions consistently, you're not going to have consistent devotions. If you don't plan on ministry, you're not going to have ministry. If you don't plan to have disciples, you're not going to have disciples. There's some planning that goes involved. And, and God's made it simple for us. He's given us his word and says, here's how to do it. Go do it. If God's laying something on your heart right now, I hope he is. I hope you have ten things that are on your heart that God's been laying on your heart so that you can go do them. Just say, you know what? All that stuff was man-made. I'm getting in my own way. I'm tripping myself up. I'm off the hook. God says to do it. I'm just going to go do it. I hope, that, I hope that I can do that. One week is not being consistent. I got through one week and didn't get everything done. And I still had to write it on my arm to remind myself. You got to do it like six weeks before it becomes a habit. We'll see where I'm at in six weeks. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have something to say. 
So I'll leave you with this. Take an accurate assessment of where you are. Look at it. Look at what God wants you to be when you come to see Him in heaven or when He comes to meet you. And let Him lead you there. And where once there was failure, and if you don't have any, if you don't have any failures to look at, you can look at mine. Mine have been failures. You know, I have those exercise programs that didn't work out. I have those reading plans to get through the Bible that don't always work out. I have this time in prayer that I don't always get to. Where there was once failure, there can be consistent growth through this power that God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for this group. God, I pray that they would seek your face, that they would always be seeking your face. And remember how important it is. God, give them strength. This is not easy to do. This world teaches us the opposite. This world doesn't want to hear from us. This world doesn't want us to bring to light their sin. They are actively fighting us, God. I pray that you would tear down the barriers that are in our way and open up doors and windows for us to go through to reach this community. We know we're charged with this community, God. I pray that we would reach it. But God, I pray that each individual here, no matter where they are, would seek what you have for them right now. God, and if, if anything I said today was confusing, God, I pray that you just help them to find what it is. Help them to seek you and find where they should be. I thank you for this group that's willing to do that that's willing to look for you. I thank you for all this in your name. Amen.